0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with sound designer and supervising sound editor Erica Dahl and supervising sound editor Ethan van der Ryan, who both worked on the recent reboot of Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards. For anyone who is a fan of classic monster movies, Godzilla is definitely on the top of everyone's list. This incredible monster was brought to life by the photorealistic visual effects and dynamic sound work that these creative teams were able to produce. I was incredibly excited to reconnect with Eric and Ethan to talk about this film that came out earlier in the year and dive back into the stories and experiences that these two had to bring to life the monstrous sound of Godzilla. I hope you enjoy. So let's talk about when you first met Gareth, what you guys were thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to work on Godzilla. Yeah. That must be pretty exciting.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it, it was it was very exciting. It, it all started with a, a phone call sometime towards the end of 2011. And Alex Garcia is one of the executive producers. And he, he we, we knew each other and worked together before. And uh, he met, he said, hey, I've got this project coming up. It's yeah. it's Godzilla. <laughs> I remember I got just got tingles down my back, like oh my gosh, say Godzilla. It, say it again. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> you know, and obviously for sound people, um, Godzilla is such a so much history and uh, so so iconic. You know, sonically. Right. Um, so it was really exciting. And so yeah. when we met Gareth, um, it was it was by phone actually, and uh, he was. He was aware of, you know, the type of films that we've done and, you know, we've done some a lot of very big films. And But I think one of the things that excited him was that we were able to also do some more artistic films as well. Like one of the things he was excited about was The Tree of Life. And certainly his approach, um, it, you know, it was soon after that that I saw his first film, Monsters, mm-hmm. which really impressed me in terms of how atmospheric it was and how immersive it was it just puts you into this space and you can hear the south american jungles and um and very evocative and uh a
0: director that understands what you guys are doing
1: yeah and and it's not just smash bang you know i think his style he has a very unique voice um, and really savors moments and has long arcs that kind of build to those moments. And and in the very beginning, that's kind of what we talked about. You know, that sort of style and you know the power of sound. And mm-hmm. uh, and but one of the first things we started collaborating on. He was in London at, at the time, and we were out here in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, was just the the roar itself. Um, we were kind of working towards a you know, they're going to reveal this project that uh, was, you know, going to be in theaters in a few years um, at Comic-Con with, yeah. a, with a teaser trailer. So that was kind of our first uh, chance to, to work together, to, to develop that roar in uh, building up towards that. And uh, it took us a, f- a few months. It took us, I think, <laughs> close to might have been four or five months um, of a lot of experimentation um, to get to a place that we were we were all happy with
0: how does that work between the two of you of like i can imagine it's like who's going to come up with the godzilla sound first who's gonna who's gonna attack that ethan what were you thinking you know with this project what was going to be i was
2: just thinking that basically i work with a genius and (laughs) (laughs) um you know i just um sit back and watch the magic happen Uh um well, what's fun about,
1: you know, for me working with Ethan, too, is that um, Ethan's one of the hardest people in the universe to impress. Actually, far harder than any filmmaker that we work with. Um, nice. <laughs> and it creates a really exciting dynamic because okay. we really play off of each other and brainstorm together. And, um, and that's, for me, that's the most fun part of the the process is, you know, you start on something cold and like, okay, where do we start? What do we do? And you just start coming up with ideas and free forming. And, you know, of course 99.9% of the things that you try don't work, but um, you're always in search of that elusive little, that one thing out of a million that um, strikes you as something serendipitous and exciting. And and then that helps inform our direction. Identify, yeah.
2: One of the things that I've always loved about um, working with Eric since we first started working together is, um, and this is probably the the thing that really struck me the most when we first started working together, is how unprecious he is mm. with, with his work. You know, he can spend days working one angle of something and then be perfectly happy just to say, yeah, you know, you're right. Maybe that's not working as well as it could. Let's try going in this direction. Let's try something else and be perfectly happy to to let it go and move on. And that's such a...
0: That's really important. That's
2: such a rare but <laughs> important trait to have yeah. as, a, as an artist to yeah. be... Uh, you know, and especially working in a medium that's so collaborative, that in you know involves a, you know a fusion of different people coming together to to create something beautiful, and being being that generous with your spirit and what you bring to a project, and and generous in a way to be able to let go is such a such a great trait to have.
0: So where does that leave you then?
2: Where does that leave me? Well, where it leaves me is is being in a place where I feel comfortable to be able to um, to be the the person that Eric just suggested I am, which is like difficult to please with with strong ideas about how things should be, and feel free to collaborate in that way and vocalize in a way without feeling like I don't want to yeah, offend them. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. because with some people you work oh, with, God, that's the worst. you need to be careful about um, because people can get very defensive it's about, art. about their yeah. their art. Yeah. So it's just a really generous and open way of working when you feel like you have the freedom to go off in any direction. Yeah. You know, and it, it opens up real creative avenues when you don't feel constricted by a path that you've been going down right, right, right. that may be like not working as well as yeah. taking a, taking another direction.
0: <laughs> so with that being said, the story of the 1954 Godzilla, they made these attempts at capturing the roar or the sound of the film, and even that was challenging for them. And knowing that, where's your guys' headspace about like honoring the past, but also your own fingerprint on it.
1: We definitely wanted to pay homage to that original. It is one of those sounds that really anywhere in the world, you know, you can go and close your eyes and anyone will know what that is. You know, that's Godzilla. So we couldn't throw away all of that cultural history, you know, and start do something totally different. We wanted something that was just as recognizable, but um, of course updated. (laughs) And, you know, uh, Toho um, actually, dug up the original design recording, and th- that was one of the first films to actually use magnetic tape in Japan.
0: Okay, was there better dynamics then, and what they were able to do with magnetic, or was it not really? Yeah,
1: it was a new t- it was a new technology, yeah. you know, invented by the Germans that um, gave much higher uh, quality in, yeah. in recordings than had existed before, and also a lot of flexibility with being able to manipulate sounds in terms of speeding them up and slowing them down and sure. very speeding and, and so forth. And, um, yeah, and, you know, the, the original sound crew went through all sorts of crazy lengths um, to and experimentation and many failed experiments to come up with that final roar. Um, I think one of the main players was Ichiro Manawa. Uh, he first started with a lot of animal kind of sounds, which is, you know... Naturally, where you would start with something like you're creating a giant monster, Monster, okay, what are monstrous kind of animals that exist in the world that you can, you know, riff off of? But, of course, none of that was quite working because, you know, Godzilla isn't just an animal. He's like, he's a force of nature. And eventually it was um, Akira Ifakube, the music composer, who mm. came up with the idea to use that the famous you know, uh, double bass with the mm. leather glove sliding across the string to create the <laughs> shriek. <laughs> and uh, and it it what's fun about that sound is you'd never know what that sound was unless you were told what it was. Okay. And which is um, to me so brilliant, you know, to you're creating a character that is so, unique um, that isn't something else that, that you could just point to oh, that's a lion yeah. or you know w- whatever it is I mean it
0: kind of gives you guys a template for how to move forward with this whole project I'd think
1: yeah so well and <laughs> you know it's funny we started we actually started similarly to that original crew trying different animals things that had similar timbres to okay. that to that shriek like dolphins and you know elephants and things that would just ah! you know, do that yeah. kind of, have have that yeah. feeling. Yeah. And, uh, but none of, none of it really worked. Okay. You know, it's, it's kind of what we we're just talking about where, you know, Ethan's describing this process of where, you know, you're constantly in search for a feeling, you know, and it's a gut thing. It's not a head thing. You know, it's what we do isn't zeros and ones. It's, it's yeah. a very, um, emotion based process and you've, you feel it when it's right, and you feel it when it's not quite right yet.
0: Yeah. Or when Ethan um, says it's not good Or when Ethan <laughs> says it's not good. And
1: I, li- I listen to that very carefully because yeah. I know that's any clue to where the compass is pointing, you need to listen to. Um, It'd because- be so
0: hard to, like, phone it in for, a, <laughs> for a, a picture like this. I just can't imagine, like, oh, this is the new sound of Godzilla and just be lackluster, and everyone's like, well... And that's we, not the
2: well, case I mean, We got well,
1: totally obsessed. And I mean <laughs> yeah.
2: the the cool thing about the project too is like no one involved with the project would have let it go down that way because right. starting from the uh, you know at the very top of the studio with Thomas Tall you have someone who's yeah. like a total fan yeah, yeah, yeah. of the of the original and that's exciting. you know like the ultimate theme. Yeah yeah yeah. So I think everyone involved was so passionate about capturing something unique but also paying homage to you know to the history
1: yeah. i don't think i've ever had a studio head have that much passion and interest and spend that much time again <laughs> and again coming in sitting in front of the board and oh, really being part of wow. the evolution um yeah it's really really unique and i think that passion just infused its way into every part of the process and everybody involved
0: so i mean once you guys kind of you you realize what you had at your hands and you started digging into this. You have a pretty intense film of just so many different atmospheres and creatures, new creatures, old creatures, environments. Where do you start? Where do you think about starting?
2: It's actually a pretty organic process because for us, the work starts with getting previz sequences before the mm-hmm. movie was actually shot. OK. Where Gareth has started to work out how certain scenes are going to actually be choreographed and come together. And so we started building, doing sound design to these previz mm-hmm. sequences. And it's kind of amazing to see how many of these sequences really translated pretty directly into sure. the finished film, yep. and that goes for the for the sound design as well. You know how much of what was originally done, the shape really uh, remained intact, you know, all the way till the film was released in the theaters. And I mean, that's something that we love to do is to get involved early in the process. Uh, it allows for you know the sound to really help inform the picture before, in the, in that case, before the picture has actually even been shot. Yeah. Um, so, which
0: I'm sure is helpful for even the people who are on the visual effects side to have something
1: to reference. Also on set, you yeah. know, Gareth would pull out his iPad with our Godzilla sounds and pumping <laughs> out over the speakers for the, a, for the actors. You know, yeah. who'd normally just look be looking at a green screen or a golf ball on a stick, right. and the actors could actually react to the sound of it and you know great. P- play off against that. That's so cool. And you know, and just building upon what Ethan was saying is that you know part of that process is. As we're going, we are trying to find the, the soul of these characters. You know, Godzilla's a character. The two Mutos are characters that are just as important as any principal character, if not more important yeah. in the film. And uh, and when we give them a sound, it's giving them their soul. It's giving them their, their voice, their voice. Right. Personality and behavior, and making them multi-dimensional living creatures, and not just visual effects.
2: Yeah, just to expand on that idea, something I was so intrigued by this movie was Gareth's approach. Really, I think it started with with his approach, um, where you have this monster movie, basically, but the monsters are treated as creatures that have a history, that have a soul, that have emotions, that have this deeper life and deeper history that a lot of it can be actually sort of uh, enunciated through the sound so even though we don't really see you know a lot of the the lives of the, these mutos what we hear through their sound uh, we we get the idea that they have intelligence you know these these creatures are actually seeking each other out to mate right. it's almost in a way like some sort of wildlife documentary where we're following, these creatures and following them on their journey to reach each other in order to reproduce and um,
0: it's a great love story at the very end of San Francisco. Well, it <laughs> yeah. it, it
2: kind of it kind of is in ways and I mean um, the idea that you can have these monsters which are you know the nemesis which are you know yeah. everyone's trying to kill right and they're trying to basically kill everybody right but. They have this soul, and we we actually, in some ways, start to care for them. Uh, I just find that so kind of interesting
0: and unique. That's a great story point. Like when you realize what's going on, and then you shift perspective on who you should really care about. And it adds no big a deal. Com- <laughs> it adds
1: a complexity also. You know, to when you when you can feel for the enemy. You know, that's why what, what I found so interesting about you know Godzilla and the Mutos compared yeah. to like. Jaws, or you know, Alien, yeah. is they're kind of like these mindless killers. Totally, but, yeah. but in in Godzilla, there's so much more sort of richness and depth. And to me, one of the most emotional moments, and I'd get teary-eyed on the dub stage whenever we'd hit this scene, is when the uh, female Muto loses mm. all of her babies, yeah, sure. and her her nest gets destroyed, and she lets out this longing, this wail. Of just you know sheer sadness and uh, and pain, right. and I find it fascinating that sound can connect all of us emotionally in, in that way. And it was exciting that that was Gareth's whole approach.
0: Yeah, I mean, which is a great point to having a director that can actually build sound to the story, which you know we're seeing more and more of nowadays. I feel like, or people are talking about it, that it's more of the collaboration, like you're saying, early interaction with the director introducing things that can be story points or just thinking about sound in more than just a typical um, utilitarian type of way. What, what do you guys find, um, you know, when you have a film like this and expectations are at a certain level and you have your own bar and when is it good enough for you guys? When do you feel like when, when, it, when it resonates correctly?
1: You know, <laughs> we we never stop evolving the yeah. track until we just run out of time. Okay, You know, that's kind of the approach is like never settle on anything. Like, it can keep getting better and more refined and more detailed and just worked. And ultimately, there's a release date. And that's yeah. that's when they pull the baby out of our hands and <laughs> we can't work on it anymore. I mean, I continue to have all sorts of ideas after the film was done. Oh, and I go, oh shoot, I should have tried that. And, <laughs> and you know, and then you save it for the, for the next one.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, You know, that's that's our approach between the two of us. And we love to work with people who uh, who work that same way. And 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 this movie was a great example of that, because Gareth is very much the type of person who's, you know, going to keep pushing everyone. He's a perfectionist until until the end. And and I'm thinking about there is some sort of key. Uh, design moments, there's a key muto moment. In fact, the mating moment basically is a moment that we were working on, working on, um, went through many sort of iterations. And the, the, I think the final iteration happened very, you know, on one of the final days of mixing where Gareth was like, it's just not quite doing mm. this. Yeah. And then it changed fairly dramatically very late in the game. And um, it's just a great example of how we're sort of always doing what Eric is talking about where we're always basically wide open right to the end mm-hmm. and pushing everything to try and, you know, get it to be as beautiful as it can be right for as much time as we have. Yeah. And basically at a certain point, we just run out of time. If we had another three, <laughs> months, time? We'd three s- months, we'd still be, uh, you know, like finessing. And yeah. maybe at a certain point you do, Um, there is actually might be a point where you've had too much time and maybe you will start, going in circles, I, think, well, that's I like, don't know.
0: But that's the cool thing, I think, about having that. This, well, everyone never has enough time no matter what. But having knowing that you have to make decisions and you have to commit and you have to kind of be okay with letting some things go and maybe...
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting thing is there's something to be said um, for working very fast. I think that sometimes some of the best work actually happens very fast. But then it's really nice to be able to come back with fresh ears maybe, uh, a week later or mm. a month later, and your perspective might have completely changed. Mm. So it's an interesting dynamic between being able to work very fast and having more time to go through many iterations of, of development.
0: Yeah. So I just diving into some of these kind of record trips, which is a lot of fun that you guys get to have, which go off <laughs> and search out some of these kind of key um, you know, for characters or, or vehicles or environments. Well, one of them that you guys mentioned was a lot of the military presence in this film. So what was your trip like? You went to the USS Ronald Reagan, right?
1: Yeah, the, the USS Ronald Reagan is a, uh, a, a nuclear aircraft carrier. At the time, it was uh, stationed off the west coast of Mexico. Mm. The Navy um, uh, gave us a lot of support and... Uh, uh, flew us, uh, it was just like a three-man crew um, out uh, from Coronado Island in San Diego um, out to 100 miles off the coast of Mexico mm. on a, a COD prop plane. And we did this arrested landing on the deck of this working aircraft oh, carrier and then lived there for four days and just got to live with the crew and you know hear what it's really like and spend a lot of time up on the flight deck with you know, fighter jets launching off on sorties and, you know, we had to sleep with earplugs in our quarters because they'd be running night ops and our whole ceiling would just rattle and <laughs> wake us up. And <laughs> but, um yeah, we got just uh hours and hours and hours of magnificent material that... Where does that stuff end up it? if it's
0: not the literal use? Does it end up in other places? Does it end up in...
1: You know, a lot of it was literal for the aircraft carrier, Um, you know, like the collision alarms, which they'd test, you know, over the PA systems. And of course, you know, the jets and copters and and all of that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always looking for uh, things that you can use in other places as well. One of the things we found on the carrier were, you know, in the case of fire, they have these oxygen masks and tanks that they pull out. And they had this, this wonderful sound when you'd breathe through them. And we wound up using a lot of that for the halo jump sequence. Mm. Um for the inhales, exhales of oh, nice. um those tanks. And so you you look for those little um those little pieces of gold that spontaneously appear. Pay off, <laughs>
0: yeah. That's great. And and then also you had some tanks that you were obviously it's featured in this film and no better way to get a tank is just to record a tank. <laughs> right
1: yeah no uh, so uh, John Fasol did a ton of recording for us and um, it was Eric Potter who who um flew out to Fort Irwin, where they were doing all sorts of tank training and maneuvers. Mm-hmm. And Fort Irwin's kind of interesting because it's built, there's this huge city that's built there that's used for training dudes to do <laughs> missions, you know, how to uh, how to cover each other and how to move into buildings safely and yeah. all of that kind of thing. So they do all these sorts of staged firefights. And and they just happen to have a whole bunch of tanks that they were willing to Crush Gosh. cars for well, us. How, with. Like, how does that work out? You call
0: them up. You're like, I'm working on this film, and we yeah. want to come hang out with you. Is that how it goes, or how do you even get permission to
1: do that? <laughs> so the um, bring a case of beer and yeah. Some <laughs> where, where do you no, go? That's New Zealand where they do that. <laughs> yeah. No. So we have a liaison, you know, a military liaison that helps coordinate all of that. Okay. And um, you know, they're super proactive and helpful. Like wow. really early on, you know, it's ideal to get this kind of material very early and just, you know, spend... We we had a few years to to collect material before the movie came out in May of 2014, so you try to use that time really effectively and just collect as much as you can, so they were very, very helpful with providing that stuff where you can't just go rent, you know. <laughs> I mean, do you,
0: do you have an idea of where it's going to be utilized? I mean, you have a tank, obviously. Did you know, like, was it part of spotting a script and looking we at had that,
2: that? That was actually in the previous sequence. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, one of the previous sequences we had before shooting started was the Golden Gate Bridge sequence, Okay. which involves tanks, you know, and that tank running into the guardrail. The guardrail, right. Um, so we knew, yeah, we did, we did have some of the specific shots actually yeah
1: and we start to d- then build a list of you know what right. different colors we need to record for our palette and you know from the big stuff like that to the more subtle things like okay what's the foghorn like at you know at the bridge and yeah. Go how out you, on, yeah how would
0: you guys describe because i know like when you spot something you make a list and you might just write down some basic notes but then you don't r- realize it's right or wrong until you get back and you start working with it how do you make sure you cover your bases so you don't have to go back out and do it again?
1: Do we do sets on things. So mm-hmm. we try to, you know, even though, you know, even though, for example, the tank might be an in and stop or a buy. Sure. We'll try to get a complete set. Okay. So, you know, we can use it in any iteration. If the picture cut changes or if suddenly now we're in the interior tracking along with it, you know, then mm-hmm. and we'll then do onboards, for example. And mm. you try to get every different angle iteration close-up, distant, um, it's know, just so you have the material. You know, it's better to it's better to overshoot than okay. undershoot. And you
0: just allow enough time to do that, or you just have a bunch of guys. How do you approach it?
2: Uh, either or, just depending on the <laughs> yeah. circumstances. I mean, that was a circumstance where we could only send one recordist. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but Eric's a pro, so uh, Eric Potter, so... Uh, he knows that basically he's going to try and get a complete set and he's going to focus on the, you know, start with the, high, the top priority stuff and work his way out, basically. Yeah. In other situations, we might be able to send multiple recorders and record from different angles and get more material mm-hmm. more quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's situational.
0: Or even in the instance with the school bus, that's like you guys have complete creative freedom to kind of build that from the ground up, I guess. Maybe you could set set up how you even approach something simple. And, and what was the reason why you even went to the, the length to record these loops for uh, these kids?
1: Well, that was a really important thing for Gareth mm-hmm. um, is to, you know, there's – we're on the Golden Gate Bridge. We're in this bus with these kids. Um, when they're on set, you know, they're, they're working with a green screen. They were rushed. There's always challenges, you know, right. on set with production and, you know – getting everything you need. And one of the things he wasn't able to get there were really convincing screams that, you know, it's often a challenge working with kids because, you know, you ask them to scream and they'll give you a real canned scream. Yeah. You know, it sounds like a kid just screaming for a microphone. Okay. And it's a little harder to get a true panic feeling. And so <laughs> Gareth started brainstorming with us, well, how do we do this? And he was he was de- he was was describing this one... Um, a thing called the alien experience he'd gone to in London uh-huh. where they would they turn off all the lights in in this venue and mm-hmm. a strobe light would flash on and you'd see, like, this alien 50 feet away. It's like a haunted then, house, basically. And, yeah, a ha- kind of haunted house sort yeah. of experience. And then the strobe light would fire again and the alien would be, like, 20 feet away and <laughs> oh it would go God. dark. And then... You know, a few seconds would go by, and a strobe light would go again, and the alien's right in your face. And he said he remembered the screams mm. from the audience as being so true. Yeah, yeah. And he said, can we stage something like that? And, of course, with kids, you know, you, we, you have to be real careful. You don't want to genuinely make them fear for their lives. They... You know, right. there's uh That's why there's parent permission slips.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know... You, Their guardian was there with them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, but one of the ideas that um, we were allowed to do um, was uh, mocking up the bus and putting mm-hmm. Dubatina over the windows and yeah. bringing kids in, prepping them, like, look, it's a little haunted house kind of thing we're doing here. It's yeah. going to be dark, and, you know, we just want you to have very real screams. Don't force it, but just... Express how you how you're feeling, and um, and uh, so one of our PAs, um, Diego, Mm -hmm. uh, put on a mask, and we got a strobe light in there, and had him come in, and uh, we got wonderful stuff. And there was one kid who just really lost it, owned it, lost it, just just completely lost it. And uh, and we wound up we wound up using, I think it was the first take um, in, in the film in that final a panning shot from inside the bus um, as Zilla's breaking through the Golden Gate Bridge. And Gareth told us later that whenever he'd hit that scene, he would grab his, be sitting on the couch on the dub stage, grab his knees and just start rocking back and forth (laughs) because he loved it so much. And, you know, and we we really, and what I also like about that moment is we really took out almost every sound except for Godzilla and the kids screaming. Okay. And I find it to be an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Nice. So sometimes you guys have the opportunities to go in this completely different realm and think about sounds in a different way. And that that came about by using this scientific microphone or this this microphone by Sanken. Where did the idea come from and what were you guys trying to do? What was the idea behind this uh, approach?
2: Well, I mean, I think the basic thing is um, for us... You know, every film we do is a a type of journey. And the more we can journey into new worlds, uh, new ways of doing things or, you know, the most basic thing for us is is new sounds. We're all about always trying to come up with sounds that people aren't familiar with, Mm -hmm. that people hopefully uh, haven't heard before, that that feel fresh that aren't the same sounds that people are used to hearing over and over again because right. we want to create fresh experiences that are that are unique to every film we work on so the, the idea of using this scientific microphone that's that's able to record in frequencies way above the the range of human hearing basically was a way to open up this whole universe of of sounds that that we hadn't been able to to utilize before um and so we just started playing around recording basically everything we could think of and just playing I mean that's so much of the of our process is having the freedom to experiment mm-hmm. you know that's such a big big part of it that I think probably gets overlooked a lot of the time yeah because um, it's very rare that, Maybe you go in with a very clear idea of exactly what you want to uh, do and exactly how to achieve it. And it's it's so nice to have the opportunity to have the time and the space to experiment. And this was a sort of perfect example of, of that.
0: But, but the thing you were saying, too, is that you say, OK, well, it's beyond the, the, the range of human hearing. And so it's like, well, what are we actually capturing? But you don't actually hear actually be able to utilize until you pitch it down, right?
1: Right. Yeah. No, just because we can't hear those frequencies with our own human ear, like the human ear can go up to 20 kilohertz. Right. And this microphone goes up to 100 kilohertz and, you know, way up into where, you know, bats and dolphins can communicate that we aren't even aware of, but the information is there. Yeah. And once we're able to record it, we can bring it back into the studio and then slow it down, essentially. So... All of those amazing little timbres and harmonics, that whole hidden universe then kind of comes into our realm of perception, and it's magnificent stuff I mean it's so it's amazing the, I think of it almost as like the microcosmos yeah, you know sure. you, can, you can look at a carpet and it just looks like carpet, but yeah. if you look at it under an electron microscope it 's this vast jungle
0: This is the black <laughs> m- black uh, matter of, of uh, sound here.
1: yeah, and also just on a conceptual level. Um, it was kind of exciting because the MUTOs themselves are yeah. all about sound. They're essentially blind, right. but they respond to sound. And, echolocation. And, and With echolocation, yeah. and that's how they search for each other and communicate over vast distances. And uh, so we sort of thought of them as like bats who echolocate or dolphins who echolocate, who can hear in these frequencies that are imperceptible to us. So just on a conceptual level, it made a lot of sense to start to you know experiment with that and and try to apply it
0: what did you find when you started <laughs> diving into this it's world it's the
1: weirdest things that turned out to be good yeah um you know, like the, the serrated knife on the tire is one of my favorite things because it's just such a bizarre sound that came out of that that you'd never mm. expect. And just to your ear when you're recording, you're like, oh, this is going this to suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you actually play with it and it's, you know, incredible. And it's not something you'd be able to manufacture um, with any ease at all. Yeah. It's... Um, And uh, yeah, we played just a lot of high-frequency things, things that we expected to not be able to hear all of what was actually going on with. So it was Mm -hmm. a lot of strange little friction things that we played with and twisting corks and bottles. And of course, we played a lot with balloon (laughs) sounds. Um, Yeah, I think we probably recorded... I don't know, fifty or sixty props um, with that mm. with that mic. Yeah,
2: because I mean, the thing about that sort of process is because it is uh, uh, experimentation and play. It's really you know, you never know what weird little prop is going to create some kind of sound in 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 frequencies you can't even hear when you're when you're doing it. But then when you bring it back into the studio and pitch it down, it's like, oh my god, that is that's that's so cool, and you never would have known you know, if you hadn't just, like, been screwing around, basically.
0: Yeah. What What can you say just about now that, I mean, this film has been out for a while now. People have had a chance to see it, and they know the story. But even going back and kind of looking at some of these scenes that you, you featured in this, in this reel, there's some really haunting, like, creatures visually and sound-wise, just playing, like, just the, the raw source files by themselves. Do you guys find that this film was a big success, and they're going to come back to it in a few years? And knowing that that's coming down the pipe... How do you top yourselves? How do you even attempt to, now you set the bar, do you just go back and build from there? What is it that you think is is necessary to reapproach a project every time? I mean, obviously, Ethan, you've done Lord of the Rings. You know what it's like to go back to a project.
2: Well, yeah, and I mean, um, and Eric and I have done the Transformers movies together. So, sure, absolutely, and, and the yeah. Kung Fu Panda movies. So we've done these movies where um, we've, we create a universe and then we go back into the universe, and the thing is, we want to stay in the universe that we've created, but we want to push it into new places as well. So it's it's sort of the, the idea of, yeah, we're going back to this familiar place, and then we want to take it to a new place. Yeah. And where that new place is, I don't think we ever know uh, when we start out. It's That's part of the exploration. That's part of being on on the journey for us is, is finding that that new place and and that is the thing about what we started talking about is you know we push ourselves hard and mostly what that's about is finding new places where we haven't been before creatively mm. and that's what
1: excites us you know <laughs> and that's how you just you know you you'll never inspire anybody if you don't try to inspire yourself first yeah, sure. and if you can give yourself goosebumps and if you can get yourself really excited and feel that fire about something that's that's how you can excite an audience too so Mm. i mean that's kind of our our thermometer for if we're on the right track if we start to feel that excitement
0: and something that you know we brought up before we started talking was um about this this roar of godzilla and and just the fact of not telling people what it is is actually really important not just from a secretive standpoint but actually if you know what it is then it kind of isn't that exciting
1: it can kind of diffuse it yeah and yeah, and in fact, I mean that came up when we were when we were working on the film, and uh, we actually didn't tell Gareth um, what it was until we had finished, and he, he had asked us, you know, somewhere during the process, like, okay, so what, you know, now that we have the roar kind of nailed down, what is what is that? Mm-hmm. And we almost told him, uh. <laughs> and then and then we stopped ourselves because um, our concern was that. Uh, you know, for the next year or more of working, every time we'd play a scene with Godzilla, that's all he would be thinking about was this weird thing that we'd put together to to create that sound. And, you know, I mean, we told him, okay, it's not an animal, it's not something living. Um, but uh, if we had told him exactly what it was, that would just be stuck in his head. And we wanted him to think that's Godzilla. And the same thing with the audience, you know, we... Don't want to diffuse that or take away the potency of Godzilla's voice. It's almost, um, it's almost,
0: uh, compared to a lot of things.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's, there's something tragic about the idea of, so we'd almost be stealing something from this character Sure. by revealing that.
0: So total the total, the, the wizard behind the curtain, you know, yeah. knowing how it works.
1: Well, and there's other examples about that, like, you know, there's a secrecy around E.T.'s voice that was yeah. kept a secret for a while, but then it got out, and now it's hard not to think about what it was that made E.T.'s voice, and and so, yeah. and it's going to be a secret. <laughs> so it's going to be a secret, and in fact, you know, Thomas Toll told us to take it to our graves, so.
0: Nice, guys. Well, well <laughs> to our graves. Thank you so much for talking. <laughs>